and formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the Southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you, you know, it's not that, as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields, you got to dig in, do some real, real work down there. southeast whitetail i'm mark haslam and i am uh glad to be back on the mic recording here from southeast whitetail studios in savannah um it's been a little bit i uh, had some pre-recorded podcast um from the end in the hunting season that i put out some um hunter profile interviews uh to kind of cap off that southern hunting culture spotlight i wanted to, to, to do to Round out the the end of the hunting season for 22. Um, had that awesome recording maybe two weeks ago with Scott Rhodes, who started the Low Country Game Bird Foundation, and uh, Mike Chamberlain, the Wild Turkey Doc. That was a great one. Um, I've got another one coming out uh, with a um, very cool uh, bow hunter, just kind of all around hunter um, in South Carolina. Coming up soon. I'm going to try to get that out. Um, maybe the first of next week. J Joseph Montz, great guy, great interview. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, turkey habitat. And, you know, a lot of what I'm going to talk, be, be talking about when I say turkey habitat, it's going to go right into, you know, quail habitat. So if you have wild quail or you release quail um, or you hope to get some, all this really is going to uh, play right into it. Turkey and quail habitat. A lot of it does overlap. Um, and, and I, you know, I see this, what I'm about to cover, I see this all the time with, with landowners. I've seen it several times. And that's part of the reason why I haven't recorded much over the past couple of months um, was launching my consulting business. I've been all over, Georgia, South Carolina, and beyond. Uh, starting my consulting business, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's been great connecting with with various landowners to try to meet their goals, uh, both long and both long and short term. Um, but what 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 I'm getting at is that it's very very common, and it, and and I even I even had it. I, I still have it right now on my own farm, and that is that you have underproducing timber. And what I mean by that is it could be planted timber. It could be a stand of pine trees. It could be just some volunteer regrowth where maybe there's a clear cut 
and that, uh, you know, no one goes in to prep and replant trees. So it's just left to grow up wild. Um, or it may be, you know, it is a planted stand or maybe it's hardwoods or whatever that's just mismanaged. It's not managed properly. Maybe it's poor soil. Maybe there was ice damage, which, yes, we have seen. And I have that on my own property. We do get that some some of the south, maybe if it gets real cold. Um, and then some 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 strong winds, you can get some ice damage. Or maybe it's, you know, various issues with your timber. But the most common situation is a clear cut that's not replanted. So what happens is sometimes people leave seed trees Sometimes people leave mature pines to, you know, drop seeds to help repopulate. The problem with that is people do it because they don't want to spend money. You know, they cut and they get the money from the timber sale and they don't want to spend more money, you know, spend additional money, which I get that, to uh, prep. And, and when I say prep, that all kind of depends on what's needed. You know, when was the cut uh, do you do we need to spray to kill off any kind of volunteer regrowth before you replant uh, trees? That all depends on the timing of the cut. But if you don't replant and it's just volunteer regrowth, you're going to get everything out of the sun. You're going to get, you know, hardwoods, pines, sweet gums, and a lot of undesirable trees. And then when that happens, it's very, very hard to manage that timber. Unless maybe it's real open, um, you know, it's very, it's going to be very hard to manage it as far as, you know, TSI, control burns, all of that. And that's exactly what happened on my own property. It was um, this particular track uh, we picked up a while ago and the, and the owner, the last owner uh, was, a, was a timber company and they cleared um, a lot of the, a lot of the mature timber. And uh, they cut about 200 acres and we acquired it a couple of years after that cut. And so there was a, already some growth and, you know, that, that area was some bedding and what, you know, white tails, turkeys did use it a little bit, but not, it wasn't really outstanding, but we didn't really want to jump into forestry work on that particular property. Just kind of let it develop. <clears throat> we wanted to hunt it for a couple of years, get used to it and start doing some other forestry work before we tackled that project. Um, and, you know, one of the bigger issues you, you can have with just natural regeneration is depending on the soil quality and where, where, where I am for the site, it was very sandy. So um, you're going to get poor quality trees and you're going to get trees that after you know, maybe 10, 15 years, it might not even be pulpwood quality. And the problem with that is, is that it's going to take a significant amount of time for it to become merchantable pulpwood. And if you want to wait till it becomes anything larger than pulpwood, um, yeah, it's going to take a long, long time. And even then, you're not going to maximize anywhere close to the productivity of that acreage for growing trees. And I get it, you know, I see it all the time. I've seen it my whole life and I see it now, you know, doing consulting work is, is a lot of people just, they, they, they don't really care about growing trees. They, they don't want to be a tree farmer. They don't want that plant of pine look. 
Um, and that's not why they're in it. And, 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 I, and I get that. I really do. I get that. Um, but there's a certain time, a certain period that you can incur where this undesirable timber is doing nothing for wildlife. In fact, it can be actually detrimental to wildlife. Like take, for instance, my property, I have, have 200 acres where it's just, it's simply wildlife passing through. Turkeys would kind of loaf in those areas, but they're just passing through it and they're not really getting much benefit from it. So the longer you let those areas ride, the more money it's going to cost down the road um, to correct it. Unless you just let it go for 30, 40, 50 years. And maybe then, you know, you, you'll get some substantial money coming from it, but that's a long, long time. And that's a long time with, with no income coming whatsoever. And you also don't know what it's going to yield. A lot of various things can happen because in those areas, you're probably not going to be doing control burns. You know, if if it's a sandy site, there's not going to be much enough fuel in the ground to get a fire going. Some of the sites can be way too thick and they can be way too dangerous to potentially light a match and, and you know, burn off uh, excess debris and maybe kill off some of those dog hair thick trees. So what we did was what, you know, what foresters call it is uh, a knockdown mulching. And uh, we got some equipment in there and we just simply pushed over the trees, knocked them down as what it's called, knocked down. And then they just, you know, mulch the stump, just kind of grind the stump down as much as possible. It's an extremely rough finish. It's a clear cut, but, but, but all the, all the, all the debris is staying right there. The trees being pushed over, you know, Keep in mind that these are very small trees, not very wide, small in diameter, diameter, excuse me, and smaller than pole wood. So a lot of it's being mulched up, and there's there, there's a lot of debris left on the ground, a lot of structure, you know, uh, top parts of trees and branches, and there's a lot of structure on the ground. So you know, if you want something cleaner than that, it's going to cost a lot more money. I mean, it, it can cost twice as much if you want that clean finish. But some of that depends on what you want to do with, with that land once it's, you know, knocked down and mulched, that, that knocked down look. So we were going to plant pine trees. Why is because, um, you know, in a lot of parts of the Southeast, growing pines is the highest and best use as far as land and, you know, growing stuff besides, you know, agricultural, you know, farming. So, we, you know, we knocked down 70 acres. First, first we sprayed it um, via helicopter, let it sit for a little bit, killed everything off, went in there and did that. And like I said before, it's very rough. And a lot of land, it's going to freak a lot of landowners. Uh, it's going to freak them out a little bit because it's not a traditional clear cut. There's just so much debris on the ground. But all that debris over time is going to rot and it's going to be perfectly fine. It, that's very that's very common where you know a lot of times landowners won't necessarily uh clean clean the you know a clear cut so that's not a golf course you know it, it's not you, you you can go right on top of those of that debris plant pine trees it's going to rot and everything's going to be fine and all that debris is going to be gone by the time you do that first thinning around 15 years so we went right in after we knocked down everything's already dead and planted pine trees so that first year, which was last year, 
it was just an insane clear cut. And we had a lot of turkeys coming. I mean, turkeys would hit that hit that clear cut first before they went to our fields, before they went to the chufa, which should tell you something if you've ever ever planted chufa before in the southeast for turkeys. Um, I mean, we had geese landing in there. We had we had, we had quail feeding on the on the outer fringes. And now the second year, we've we've, we've got a lot of tall grass growing amongst in in that in, in that clear cut all within that structure. And what it's going to do, um, it's great nesting cover right now because when I say that structure, it's you know when you have land like that, it's not all uniform. It's not it, it's not uniform like planted pines or like an oak grove. It's not uniform. There's going to be pockets where it's going to be a lot thicker. There's going to be sections where there's taller trees. There's going to be sections where there's not many trees, very thin. So when you knock it down and mulch it, there's going to be sections that are a lot thicker. There's going to be sections a little, bit more, a little more open. So when if someone thinks that, well, Mark, that's not going to be great, brood rearing cover, cover for pulse because it's too thick and nasty, it's like, well... It's not that way throughout. And that structure is going to give the pulse cover and safety with that um, with that grass growing in there. And furthermore, it's just loaded with loaded with insects. I mean, it is just loaded with insects and bugs. Um, the area we also um, surround, you know, surrounds um, a big uh, two acre field. You know, it's a food plot, but it's two acres. I mean, it it's a field. That field was already there that we cleared out, uh, in that un undesirable timber. And we actually left a strip of woods that connects to the nearest, uh, mature, mature woods that we left a, a strip that way game could just funnel right in, in, into that field from that strip that we left. Now, if someone didn't have a field like this or a food plot, when they do this knock down mulching, they could have that crew create that field, take out the stumps, get a food plot field in there that way you've got a food plot for turkeys and then you've got the surrounding area of nesting and brood rearing cover and you know one of the important factors that you know must be considered when you're trying to create good fawning cover cover for quail or cover for turkeys is that you need some depth. You need some distance from roads. <clears throat> a lot of predators, wild dogs, coyotes, you know, canines, they're going to travel. <clears throat> a lot of people say yotes are, are lazy. Maybe at times, I don't know. I think they're a, a little, I mean, yotes are smart. Yotes are very smart. And if you don't think a coyote is smart, <clears throat> read the history of it. Read the history of the coyote and where they were li living uh, when the U.S. government pretty much killed off all the wolves, mostly. They didn't kill them all off. They came very close. And then they switched their efforts to coyotes. And they tried to kill off coyote out west in the Midwest, you know, for, you know, help ranchers and whatnot. And they couldn't do it. They, they could not do it. And that provoked the species to colonize because that's what they do. And they started spreading east. So, uh, my point is, is that if they're so, you know, lazy, then how come we can't kill them off? Um, and, you know, that, that I'm not going to go on tangent here, but, you know, if you think you're going to get rid of coyotes on your property, you have the wrong mindset. You're not going to. If someone out there 
has removed all coyotes in our property, please call me, pick up the phone, call me <clears throat> and let me know. Um, here's my number, 912-547-0385. Call me and let me know this. I'd love to see your property. I, I would love to visit a property that uh, no coyotes are on whatsoever because they're going to come back. So my point is, is that I'm not saying don't trap. I'm not saying don't kill coyotes because there's a, there's a, 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 a definitive time when to do it right now is a good time. Turkeys are nesting, uh, quail are about to start breeding and start nesting the summer. And then, then you have fawns being dropped. So like now's a great time to do it. Pressure them, pressure them, especially when fawns are being dropped um, and do it that way. Um, but where I'm getting it is that when you're designing cover, when you're designing fawning cover, turkey, quail, whatever, you need some depth. You don't want it to be a long, thin strip along a road. That way they can travel down the road and, you know, downwind and scent check that, those sites. You don't want that. You want some big depth. And that's why I like this area, the 70 acres, because it's just a big, solid area. It's a big chunk of land that I don't, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to see many, uh, ground predators going in and having a whole lot of success. I'm sure it's going to happen. Now, predators via air, yeah, they're going to, they they might pick some off. Hawks, owls, you name it, they can get in there, but that's why the structure is so important. You, you give them that structure, they're going to be able to hide and find safety and cover. So, you know, I, I, that's why I put that video out uh, earlier this this week is just showing an option to take undesirable timber and create uh turkey nesting brooding cover and, and understand the way we did it where, where we replanted pine trees that's not going to last forever it's going to be in that state for a couple years it's going to get thicker and thicker and we're going to see probably just nest sites in there for a little bit and it's probably going to get too thick for uh pulse you know, to actually be in there. But you know what? We're going to start a new site and we're going to rotate. And that just plays right into, uh, you know, the way I'm wired and the way I, I help clients is to diversify your land, diversify your timber stands, because that's what we do in the South. We grow trees. We have such a long growing season. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, everything under the sun here in the South grows faster and grows longer, has more time to grow than in, than in the Midwest, up of the North. I mean, there's, there's places that still have snow right now. So it, it, it's, you know, I know someone might be thinking, well, that's not going to be great cover for a long time. Well, we're going to move on to the next site and do it there. And then in about 14 years from now, we're going to be thinning those pines and getting some income from it. And then we can clear cut it down the road. Or, you know, just because you plant pine trees – doesn't mean that you have to let them mature until they're 25 or 30 years old. You know, you're, you're not signing a contract with any kind of forestry commission to let it, you know, grow into a certain age. You could let this pine trees grow until they're pulpwood uh, size, which is going to be, you know, around 15 years. And you could clear cut it, at, you know, it, it, uh, it fit 15 years. And, I, we are seeing some of that. Pulpwood prices are down a little bit now. They were very high, uh, you know, coming out of COVID. But um, so, and that's what we're, 
that's what we might be doing on the side is just letting it get into pulp wood and clear cutting. So why not? It's just a different way of structuring your income and creating that sustainability with your farm. And when I say that, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you have, a, you know, 30 acres, 100 acres or 1,000 acres. You need to start thinking about uh, sustainability, bills down the road, carrying costs. If you have a mortgage, insurance, taxes, capital improvements, do you want to pay someone or hire, you know, um, rent some equipment to create roads? I mean, I see this all the time where, you know, people want to burn or they want to do certain things, but they haven't, they don't have, you know, roads in, they don't have fire breaks, they don't have food plots, cut some trees, cut some trees, generate some income for your capital improvement projects. Um, I mean, it's just like in real estate, you know, if someone wanted, wanted to flip houses, you know, a lot of people in real estate, um, it, it's very common where you buy a property that, that has the potential of value add, buy a property that needs to be renovated. You renovate it, you get it rented, and then you refi it, and then you sell it. And so you get that equity out, you sell it, and then you move on to the next property. It's very similar when you're checkerboarding and diversifying your property. Um, you know, have a pine stand, thin it, clear cut it, take that money and roll it into something else. And, and to constantly be uh, rotating your timber because that's what you really need. If you have that monoculture on your land, it's going to be a disservice to you if you're trying to build uh, a healthy deer herd or quail population or turkey population. You've got to have that diversity. And that diversity is what gives you hunt setups. And, and that diversity also, also uh, allows you to combat predators completely. I mean, you know, whether you burn and you get some briars coming up, some blackberries, that is material that fawns can get into and quail can get into and hide from predators. That's what I'm talking about. You just need diversity out there on the landscape. So that's how we easily created uh, good turkey and, and nesting and brood rearing cover. And so it's all about, you know, designing that property. That 70 acres is surrounded by thinned and burned uh, timber, which butts right up to a, right up to a creek. So it's just a, it's a good natural flow. And I have already seen this year, a significant jump in the turkey population. And, you know, I, we planted various food plots. We planted chufa and everybody knows turkeys love chufa and they're going to come to it every day. And that's great. And they will. And you can, and, and that's great. You can, you can pull some turkeys off your neighbor, your, your neighbor's property to kill. The problem is, is that when you pull them off the property and their food plot and they're socializing, they start breeding and they start nesting. If you don't have the habitat, it's not going to matter because they're not going to survive. They're going to be picked off. They're going to die. Uh, uh, you know, a damn snake or an, or like a armadillo is going to eat all the eggs. I mean, it, it just, you've got to have the habitat. So, uh, you know, I want to record this podcast because that's a very simple way. A lot of landowners have undesirable timber, but a lot of times, you know, and, 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 and I see this, you know, working with clients is that there's a hesitation 
from from Forrester Ward. There's a hesitation, especially if someone has newly acquired property. There's a hesitation of cutting trees because all the wildlife is just going to go. And I get it. I was there at one point uh, a long time ago. I was there and, and I was dreading a clear cut. And that first clear cut we did, I just thought it was just a wasteland and it was going to be detrimental to our deer herd and we were going to lose deer. And it was going to take years upon years or a decade for it to come back. And that's all far from the truth. Forestry work is the best tool you can use for your land. It really doesn't matter what goal you're going, going for. Force your work is how you're going to get there. If your property is dog hair thick, if the if your timber stand, it, whether it's planted, a monoculture, or you know mixed hardwood, softwoods, whatever, if it's dog hair thick, it's not going to produce. If your diameter is, is is thin but your trees are tall, cut it, get rid of it because it's not going to produce. Even if it's oaks, it's going to be, un it's probably going to be underproducing acorn stands, you know, mass. So make those cuts. And when you do it, and when you have those loggers on site, talk to them, engage with them, find a good forester, you know, interview some, talk to them, pick one you like, or you can, you, you can directly market if you have the experience or someone that, can help you with it, you can go directly to a timber buyer and not have to work through a forester, which foresters are essentially general contractors. And I say that because that's what they are. They're general contractors. Then they're going to, you know, it's, it's not apples and it's not apples and apples, but they're going to, you know, sub out to a timber buyer and various contract, various subs essentially. And then, and then, you know, you're paying, you know, the contract or fee that he's going to take from the, from the total income. And he or she is going to be the point of contact with his timber crew, not necessarily you. And there, you, you, you can see some problems there, but you know, that forced you work. That's when you get them when they're on site to do other things. A lot of times people have roads that are way too tight open the roads up, have them take a row or two of trees on both sides of the road, get some sunlight on your roads, help them dry out, get rid of those uh, ruts and all that mud, get some sun in there, which can help dry out the roads and then also grow grass, grow some top cover on your roads. Um, you can have them cut fire breaks so that you can burn down the road or just access trails. Um, you could have them cut in, um, you know, food plots or fields, you know, mark out, mark out some sections for them to cut. They, they're not going to stump them, but you can run equipment or you can get someone else in there to stump, to convert to a food plot. That's why I'm saying like it, it all helps. And if you have a smaller property, yes, it might take uh, a little bit more acreage to get a crew in there. And that's why maybe you need to Think about more forestry work, like those roads or fire breaks, or engage with your neighbor as far as teaming up and saying, "Hey, kind of you know package a deal together." You know, I've got thirty acres I want to cut, and my neighbor's got fifty acres. Well, that's all of a sudden attractive for them. So, um, you know, get out there and 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 really, you know, walk your land. I mean, I see this myself. If you don't, if you're not walking sections of your land every couple of years, you're really missing out because things change. And that goes back to what I was talking about in, in the Southeast. We have such a long growing season that things can change and things can change really 
quickly after a couple of years. So um, that's all I've got on that. Um, and um, stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking at a um, an outdoor wildlife and habitat workshop. The friend of mine, Corey Parker, who's the president of the uh, Coastal Empire National Deer Association, is going to be hosting um, in June, early June. Let's see. I believe it's going to be Saturday, June 3rd in Midway, Georgia. Um, it's it's pretty close to it, right off I-95. Very easy access. If you're in Georgia, if you're in Florida or South Carolina, come out to it. We're, we're going to have a lot of good speakers uh, from the National Deer Association, the DNR, the Warnell School of Forestry, and UGA biologists covering all kinds of topics. I mean, it's going to be uh, a very all-inclusive workshop out there. So take a look at that, and I appreciate everyone listening.